Episode number 175, last show of 2017. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey, coming at you. What's up? How was, how was the year, boys? 2017. Uh, year, year. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome it year. Was pretty, yeah, it was splendiferous. That's not a word, but... On a podcast level, it's been it's been a hell of a year for us. Yeah. I'm going to our statistics sure. right now that are not updated. Are we gonna like uh that are not updated? I think are we gonna be that show that talks about their um, We do it every year. What are you talking about? Yeah, we do talk about our We're updated on the twenty sixth. If we look at December of the two thousand sixteen it was like something okay. we almost should have prepared for. No need to. Uh, so on December 31st. Wow, that can't be right. Wow. December 31st, 2016. Our daily. that We had 146 downloads that day. I don't even yeah. sneeze for 146 downloads. We were now. averaging around 500 downloads a day. No, 356 downloads a day. 356 a day around the end of December December 2016 last year okay we're averaging around between like 350 to 400 a day today our 30 day average is let me zoom in real quick Four thousand four hundred, five hundred. Uh, thirty-day average is four thousand four hundred. Mm. So around forty-five hundred. It ranges. I mean, our, our daily average ranges drastically, but nothing. Our lowest is never under a thousand ever a day. We've had a good year, man. It's a hell I of a spike. Here's some stats that we never talk about. The the Homepage received more viewers this month in December than the first 14 months of us doing this podcast. <laughs> ah, damn. I think there's a valuable lesson there like that most people I don't think quite understand is that we've been doing this for a long time. And for the longest time, we got nothing out of it other than us just hanging out. Like it was a grind yeah. for, for it was years. It a grind. And it's still pretty grindy. Yeah, but we ha- we have, there's payoffs right now. I mean, like we have a we have That's we true. built up this awesome community. We get a lot of downloads. I love you guys. 
Well, our relationship's grown. We it's we've inserted ourselves into the space, and we have opportunities to do things inside the space now. Or or were we just hyped that we got 150 downloads per episode back then? Because we didn't know we, we were, were hyped, so hyped every single dude. time. I for for a while, you would say like new all time high like every week. Like we broke a record. We broke. You just make up records, and we broke them like every single week. <laughs> I was like looking into the stats. Like, hey guys, that's our highest hourly number of downloads in one hour, guys. Thirty downloads in one hour. Good job, guys. You're like, you can't just keep making up records and stats. And I was like, damned if I can't, because I'm gonna. Well, if anybody wants to see um, this growth over time, we publish it on our website. Just go to the bitcoinpodcast.com, click on the statistics button, and uh, it's all the information you could ever want about how we've grown and our stats on the podcast. Because we don't fake yep. that shit. You know what? This reminds me of episode six when I started talking about that random shit and cue the crazy fade out and we play something from episode six. Psych. We're not going to do that. Our production value is not that high, but this could have been one of those like flashback episodes from uh, Full House. No, like Wayne's World. Like, sorry, guys. Um. If I had more time in my life, I would have done a flashback episode for you guys. Yeah. But I don't. So uh, like someone in the Slack was listening to our old episode, so that was cool. It was Joe Joe Blue, I think his name is. Blau, Joe right? Blow? Joe Blow. Joe Blow. Joe Blow. I don't know his how you pronounce Joe that. Blow. Honestly. I don't know either. The it one could be like a Stefan Urkel thing, where it's like Joe Blow, but he wants to be like Joe Deerte. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't church it up dirt yeah <laughs> uh yeah, no. let's talk about some 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 crazy bitcoin news yeah let's talk about the crazy bitcoin oh, let me get some crazy get this awesome ad first all right d's got a uh, cello's got a brand new ad for us yeah okay. all right 175 is brought to you by uh bitcoin interest uh hey guys the number of bitcoin hard forks in existence today is a lot larger than most people think uh, so that's why the team behind Bitcoin Interest believes that storing your wealth in Bitcoins translates into missing out on one of the most significant benefits of traditional banking. That's interest payments. So users can now earn interest payments in a decentralized manner by parking their Bitcoin interest, aka BCI, coins for a set period of time. It's still peer-to-peer. -peer, it's still electronic cash, full decentralization, but it's going to promote holding on to one's coins first and foremost. Uh, so BCI is a frictionless global payment system focusing on three key areas, tech, community, and savings. And another great feature is Bitcoin interest will start off with a much lower mining difficulty than Bitcoin, allowing the miners in our community to benefit from higher rewards. So users will earn BCI coins through two separate reward schemes. The most significant reward is issued to miners for keeping the network alive. And there are still many other special features. And full wallet downloads will be available soon. So to learn more information, head on over to BitcoinInterest.io. And I can't conclude this special announcement without informing you that the Bitcoin interest fork is going to happen on January the 22nd, right before midnight. Again, that website is BitcoinInterest.io. Did they? They're forking off a of Bitcoin to create all that? Yeah. I mean, I think 
it's become the like the new model for creating a new coin if you want to do that instead of creating an ERC20 token you now have the option to make a bitcoin fork and drop ship your user base basically you just have to find a way to inform them that you're doing that so that they can look at you and redeem yeah. their tokens so it's basically mm-hmm. bitcoin with savings i mean that seems to be the case Mm-hmm. That's, People are uh, very creative in this space. I'll give them that much. Bitcoininterest.io. You put your Bitcoin in there and get some interest, yo. Oh, look at that. You got Damn, a yo on there. That was good. We are. We good. have very low uh, low standards for rap. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I could be a rapper. That was amazing. Two words? You rhymed? That was good. Um... Yeah, so anyways, uh, do we have to pay any more bills or are we not no. paying bills? No, no more or, bills. Or do we I go paid on? the bills. I paid the bills. We're good to go. Oh, um, man. Um, this just saying, guys, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinity is actually very good. So Maybe one of like, these days we'll get to something worthwhile to talk about. It's it's. I kind of regret that you said that just now because this is worthwhile, but it's just like Marvel vs. Capcom 2, except for better graphics. It's great. Is the jazz it's, music there? The jazz music is not there. Well, so then, uh, I can't. Not interested. It's a really random thing to key on right there. Is there jazz music? I will not be playing your games there. Well, considering that our like our, our podcast music for like the first 100 episodes was jazz music from a video game. Yeah. I think That's it's okay true. to think that cello likes jazz music from video games. Yeah. All right, if, you guys figure out, if you guys figure out what game, D will tip you 0.001 Litecoin. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of not that, anything. Oh, that doesn't end up being a lot of money. Yes, yeah, so I guess I want to talk about that. I just, so I spent yesterday and the past couple of weeks or so trying to figure out how I want to view the current state and history of all of the transactions I've done and where I hold my money in Bitcoin. Cause it's, we've been doing this for so long. I've tested so many wallets. I've used so many platforms. I've, I've, I've dabbled in all kinds of different like altcoins just to play around with them and understand them. I have, consolidating. I'm, well, I'm not consolidating. I'm just trying to figure out what I have. Like, where is it? <laughs> like what, what do I have and where is it? And what, what's the history of movement? Can you, you know, these are public blockchains, right? You should be able to literally see everywhere you've ever spent money, where it went. So like you, it's like the ultimate accounting. But I've noticed that it's more difficult than it seems, especially if you use anonymizing software, right? So if you use like an anonymous exchange like Shapeshift, it becomes incredibly difficult if you didn't keep track of things back then to keep track of where your money went and how you moved it and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten to the point now where like, I'm almost like hopeless because I've, I use, I've used shapeshift so much for playing around with tokens. And it's like, it was a part of Jax, which was the wallet I used to use mainly that I can't like, I can't recreate an accurate representation of my history of me just moving my own money around. And there are like, even there's even like software online, like coin tracking.info is what's been recommended to me. It's great software, mm-hmm. but if you use stuff like this, it becomes very, very difficult to track 
where your money is, which you end up with a bad representation of what you currently have because it tries to recreate your entire history. So what you're saying is blockchain forensics is going to be a very wanted position. Well, it's there and it will be, but there's still things you can't do without like really understanding. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's like a big mixer, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a big lack of information that someone who doesn't, who isn't privy to what your, what your intentions were can do, which brings me to my next point. Like it's, it's now say for, you know, for the people who aren't trying to do nefarious activities and that's all that stuff is great. If you don't want people to see what you're doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if you're just a law abiding citizen, you want to pay your taxes. If you want to take some money out, and like properly keep track of yourself as a smart investor so that you don't get screwed by the IRS later on down the line. You need to know where tokens came from and how long they've been there to appropriately like file for things like capital gains tax or income and things like that. And so it's become very, very difficult for me to prove that I've had the coins that I've had for a certain amount of time, which means that it's going to be difficult for me to prove or file them appropriately. Or at least know which ones I can file appropriately. Yeah. If I want to take them out to spend in the real world. Taxes are going to be a nightmare. And the IRS is just going to have to be comfortable with that fact. That's, but well, they, it, they don't care. for someone else. Find someone who's knowledgeable in Bitcoin taxes. Oh, tell, tell me they're not going to charge you out the ass. They're going to charge you just as much as you pay in taxes. Yeah, and then I'll charge them with the knuckle sandwich. <laughs> like Bitcoin got taxed. Bitcoin, like, say, if you're only using Coinbase, you're fine because you're, you're, you've limited yourself to a, like a single entity that files and can re- generate reports for you. But like Coinbase reports won't work for me because I send to exchanges, I send to personal wallets, I then move money around in all different kinds of way that Coinbase isn't privy to. And then when I send it back, it's like, okay, cool, got some money. I guess that was a deposit. And so they do alt pocket, alt pocket.io. What's that? You if you send that? money out of Coinbase, it's, it's a considered tracker. a withdrawal. If it comes into Coinbase, it's considered a deposit. Sure. So they and they do first in, first out. So like they will calculate gains or losses based on the first in, first out procedure. So they take money from the ones you've initially put into whenever you do withdrawals and calculate percentage differences based on that. But if you're just moving it to your own wallet, that doesn't make any sense because you've not really sold anything, which means those reports that they generate for you won't be accurate. Mm-hmm. So you need something that's so more like encompassing this. than Coinbase in order to make accurate reports. And I found it that... leaves us... Go ahead. I found that if you're really, really, really like, I don't know, I would consider myself an expert user of this technology, considering all of the the things that I've done in this space, it becomes nigh impossible to do that. You said nigh in conversation. Good job. Can we talk about if we don't want to pay our taxes and how to get around that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to do that either. Look. There are legal and smart ways to not have to pay the tax, man. It's worth discussing. Do you know these legal? First off, we are not legal counsel. This is not legal advice. 
whatsoever. Not, look, I, I did some digging and I found some interesting information that I would like to share. I would love to hear your interesting information that is very unofficial and not advice. All right, look, banks have to notify the IRS of any deposits over $10,000. So I was like, cool. But then I learned that staying under that by depositing like 9999 is a crime called structuring. And the IRS will seize suspicious deposits that are believed to be structuring. So if we're cashing out to make a big purchase, you should make numerous five to $7,000 withdrawals or the tax man cometh. Uh, although, like I was telling my co-host that going to prison for structuring is cool, I now understand why criminals launder money. Don't do that part, but be <laughs> smart about structuring and you can get around the tax man. I don't know if I don't know if you can get around the tax man. I don't think you that's a thing you can do. Man. I mean, I understand the desire to do that. Like I pay it just for my job. I pay an absorbent amount of taxes because I'm in a high tax bracket. It's yeah. it's really rough when you look at your paycheck. You're married too, though, so it comes down a little bit. Uh, he has no kids. I ain't got no kids. It's rough. Uh, I, my I my the number of money. The Mundra- pays for Kazen. Corey pays for Ophelia. Thanks. I don't I pay a lot of money from you yeah. guys. I, I pay way too much fucking money. <laughs> we wait, just wait. <laughs> yeah. Um. Shit's dumb. And it, you're going to pay a lot of money in taxes when you take crypto out. It's. I don't think you can get around the tax man. You. If you live in the U.S., you should pay your taxes. If you even if you don't like the the tax structuring, you're living in the U.S. Guys. Everyone in crypto right now is having rich people problems and they're uncomfortable with it. I say grow up. Like a capital gains tax is a tiny tax yeah. compared to your income tax. Imagine it's think tiny. about all the money you've made in crypto and you're gonna bitch yeah. because you're paying a little bit of that ridiculous profit. Yeah. I mean and assuming almost- you didn't like screw the pooch and have weak hands or make a bunch of dumb trades like a lot of people do. I made a great trade recently. But shout out to Big Mark. I hope you're listening, Mark. I just hold on. I just like, I, stop I really bitching. I think that you guys should entertain the loopholes that allow <laughs> instead of just saying suck it. These up. are not loop. This is not a <laughs> legal <laughs> loophole. You're trying to like subvert the system so they don't come yeah. after you. Like it's not, it's if you talk to any rich, look, you can even look at Trump as an example. All rich people don't just suck it up. They try to get out of paying their taxes. They donate the charities. They buy rental properties. Everyone tries to get out of their taxes. Yeah, but they're not yeah. they're not up. trying to I'm keep the IRS from looking at them. Taxes. And if the IRS looks at them, they're screwed. They're doing legal loopholes, which means that if That's they do get about. audited, I don't know if what you just said, if you got audited, they're, would be okay. Me either. Paying, I'll be honest. Me either. They're paying However. people like seven figures a year salaries to find those loopholes because those loopholes save them multiple sevens of figures. Oh, so you I don't have save money. I got it. Yeah, yeah like, so I don't like, have. Go ahead, Chelsea. D. I don't have seven figures to pay someone to find a loophole for me in my in my little my little crypto gains. Like I don't have that kind of money. Like for so instance, like gonna... one of the main one of the like a big thing that people do in really really high tax brackets is they're like they're on the cusp of breaking the next tax bracket or like they've just broke it. Is they'll donate a bunch of money. Which is tax deductible, but also puts them in a lower tax bracket, which means they pay a significantly less taxes. So, like the the donation will end up being less than the amount of money they save by being in a lower tax bracket. 
and the donation is tax deductible. Like there's a lot of things that people, like like things like that. That's just strategic maneuvering to put yourself in a position to end up with more money on your end. Like you know how you invest your four hundred one k versus not. And there's a lot of things you can do legally that if you got audited wouldn't get you in trouble. I think avoiding structuring might be something that's more along the lines of like trying to avoid getting audited because if you do, you're screwed because you didn't pay any taxes. Like you should file something. I mean, even if I think even if you file something in cryptocurrency, you're among the like 900 people that do that. And so when they, if they say you did something wrong, go say, go fuck yourself. I did something. So you see like maybe in like three, four years, a lot of these millennial millionaires are, Oh, 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 yeah. This is going to be a serious problem. So I'd say just just cover yourself now. And and when they do some type of broad sweeping, you know, like, (laughs) holy shit, all this money we're missing out. We've missed out over the past five years. Yeah. Do we have to have certifications to give people tax advice? We should open up TPP blocks right now. It's like H&R block, but totally fake. And we're just like, yeah, pay your taxes. That's our advice. our advice. That's our advice. We charge people like to give that advice. I feel like it should be in tiers. Like you, if you don't have that much money, you get me. You pay a little bit more money, you get D. And then you pay a lot of money, and then you get top tier Corey. And it's just like yeah. the structure. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it goes. That's the hierarchy. Yeah. If you, when you get to cello, it's like, ah, yeah, pay your taxes. Yep. <laughs> no, cello is going to give you advice that may, may or may not be very good advice at all. Yeah. Like, you know, here's, yeah, how you, like, here's how you might be able to get around it. Your loophole risk. Immensely. <laughs> yeah, buy re- buy real estate. And then you can avoid tax until you actually yeah. sell for cash many years what later. You, and then you get out of it. What you're going to want to do is start your own nonprofit. <laughs> and make sure it's 4.3AC compla- compatible. And go. That's where you start. I'm just going to hit up Griff and, and ask to be a volunteer giveth. And just launder all my money and everyone goes to jail. Everybody's going to jail. Sorry, because we just heard it. And audience that's listening, you heard it too. You're going to jail too. Yeah. (laughs) All right. On the other hand of this, um, like instead of like you know first world problems, let's talk about third world problems and how everything we used to talk about like a year ago is now irrelevant. Yep. Because we've basically elbowed out any type of use case that would enable the unbanked to be banked because the fees are like someone's yearly salary. Now I'm going to talk like someone who's protecting his investment. Do unbanked people really want to be banked? Go. Yeah, I'm of just course. kidding. It's a legitimate <laughs> question, right? No, I mean, you say, yeah, of course, but if I go to Hualisca uh, in the Rural areas of Nicaragua. Is that good? Is that a good Spanish accent? I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. Did you know that every, see, every time you say Coinbase now, there was one episode where you messed up and you said it like in your Jamaican accent, and that's all yeah. I hear. Coinbase. Coinbase. Yeah, that's all I hear now. All right, go ahead. Go on over to Coinbase, man. <laughs> Spark yourself up a wallet. Kualiska. Uh, uh, from the rural areas of Nicaragua, who... Maybe walks five miles in corn sandals to get dirty water to walk five miles back 
include this is probably not you know this is not a, a representative source this is not representative my brother is unbanked i could tell you all about that it actually okay. costs a lot of money to be unbanked believe it or not Whoa. he has he has Please a re, he has a reloadable debit card and it has a fee structure and it actually costs more money to be poor. I'm not saying my brother's poor, but it actually costs more money to be poor and unbanked. It costs any purchase that you make in a store costs a dollar ninety-five. There's a monthly charge of seven ninety-five. Uh, there's a reload fee of four ninety-five, and then there's a two fifty fee for any ATMs because you're not tied to any institution. And if you go to a teller oh for a cash withdrawal, that's two dollars and fifty cents. There's a three percent foreign transaction fee, and if you lose that card, that's an extra five dollars. So just imagine Jeez. you have a bad month. And you only make, you know, five hundred dollars a month with your reloadable debit card. Whew. Fucked. Let's talk. On, at, Fucked. And like, how are you going to get? Like, say you do some type of good or service. Um, how are you going to get money onto that reloadable debit card? You have to be paid in cash, and then you have to load it yourself. It's not like someone can load money onto your reloadable debit card for you, can they? Right. So if you have direct deposit, you're also fucked. You have to get paid in cash. And so that limits your ability to do anything online whatsoever. So if you have a, if you have a good or service or skill that you can market across the world online, you can't do that. Uh, so if my brother needs to buy plane tickets, he asks me to purchase it for him. And then he gives me the cash. Mm. I think so. I mean, there is a lot of use case in this technology to be able to yeah. like expand your ability to do things like being banked is 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 and say you if you want to like if you get paid in a check if you have to cash that check because you're not a part of an institution you have to either go to these like there's a lot of i don't i don't know of the proper way to cash a check if you're not a part of a, like a bank but like there, if we take a look at like paycheck lending services or like places that'll like cash your check without any if sands or buts charge exorbitant fees and there's a, it's like a prey market of people who don't have banking accounts so that they can get cash, but they get a, a, like a chunk taken out of them just for the convenience of not being attached to an organization or not convenience, but they get penalized for it. And so whatever they worked for, that money goes away to just somebody who's preying on them to give them cash so they can then put it on their debit card. So that's just like the amount of money that gets whittled down the way you actually get to spend from what, how, how much you make is really, really, really terrible. And, this, we're, and we're talking about a country that's advanced and has the infrastructure and all that stuff. You go to a place where the government or Damn businesses companies. around you are even more predatory than what it is now. And you can't trust anyone whatsoever. Or your 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 currency of your country is is so down the drain and manipulated that even if you get paid in something, you can't use it because the currency sucks. Yeah. But, but like if we take Bitcoin, for example, just to send any transaction whatsoever is more than the amount of money these people are actually getting on a large time scale. Yeah. So they're being forced to move to different currencies, different cryptocurrencies, like, you know, lower, lower fee structured cryptocurrencies. It feels stupid that we didn't see this coming. We did. I mean, like, at mass. Talking about, like, the greater development community didn't see it coming at mass. Even with Bitcoin Cash, it's still too expensive. Do you, do you, can you 
can you talk to the the workers in Mexico that made what five a day? Like no, how are I'm on, the, I'm on an NDA. Can't bring that up. Well, no, I mean in 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 general, there are people that make that much money a week. It doesn't have to be Mexico. It could be anywhere. Yep. Is is uh how can I word it to get it around the NDA? Uh, were you able to figure out how they navigated through life? Is it hard, or do some of them live comfortably? Multiple on- jobs and a shit ton of walking. All right, that's how they make it through life. And then, like, um, Western Union's a biggie. They go to Western Union a lot if their family from home is sending them money. So Western Union's gonna rake them over the coals. But Bitcoin's currently gonna rake them over the gates of hell. So it doesn't. They might as well use Western Union. It's a shame I'm saying that. Well, here's when the here's I started the, the show. It was the exact yeah. Opposite. Well, it's gotten to the point where like it's Western Union is more profit is more profitable to use economic to use than Bitcoin. Yep. So all of that stuff we talked about that Bitcoin used to be good for is no longer good for that. Or we send them to a different currency, cryptocurrency. But the problem with that is, is the infrastructure around a lot of other currencies hasn't been it's built yet. Fair. And so it's very, very, very difficult to use. I was just explaining to my wife about well, while I was trying to figure out where all of my money was. And she's like, what do you mean it's in a wallet on your computer? It's like, in a wallet on my computer? Like, what do you mean and she, you? and she was like, does it mean it doesn't fluctuate with the price? Is it, is it like locked in there? Like, no, 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 no. It's just, it's just passwords. <laughs> They're just passwords. I saw Zoolander immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the computer? In the computer. <laughs> And so, like, there's, like, there's, there's hard misunderstandings and, like, breaks in comprehension from even the most fundamental stuff from the people who are somewhat familiar with using this type of stuff. Yeah. We're not there yet. We're not there. We're not going to be there for a very long time. And right now, the focus should be on getting those fees down. And I hope that the community is making such an uproar that some of the massive, um, like transaction, uh, what do we call them? Anyways, people that are doing massive amounts of transaction on chain can move to SegWit. So maybe that will take some relief off of the fees. And then I keep seeing a lot sparking up with the Lightning Network. I hope it fulfills all of the promises and we can spark that up too and try and get these fees down to a manageable point. So that's all hope, though, because right now it seems like nobody wants to use a SegWit wallet, even though I'm telling you all listening right now, pay the fee to get your Bitcoin into a SegWit wallet, because why not? It's at least an order of magnitude cheaper. It's very cheap. So. I sent I sent um, five figures to my SegWit wallet yesterday. And I paid. Let me look that up. I just did it. But that's two years segment wall. I paid seventeen dollars. Well, how about this? I so like the other day I tweeted something that I sent a Segwit transaction for I think ten cents, and it and it got included. Um, in in ten minutes, I then sent two more. Immediately after that, for the same, actually more fees. I think it's like sixty cents and seventy cents, just to try and test out a few transactions. And those are still in 
the queue and it's been like over a week now just sitting it as an unconfirmed transaction so let's 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 take for instance what that does to all of my bitcoin um because of the way transactions work for bitcoin if i want to send somebody say five dollars and i only have a utxo or like an unspent transaction output that is 0.8 bitcoin I'm going to break that 0.8 Bitcoin up. I'm going to destroy that UTXO and create a transaction that consumes all of that 0.8 Bitcoin, gives the equivalent amount of $10 to whoever I'm sending it to, and then put the rest of the money into a new address that I control. So if I don't attach enough of a fee structure and it sits in an unconfirmed transaction for a long time, I then lose access to all of that 0.8 Bitcoin until that transaction confirms. And the only way to stop that is to do a double spend, which I then have to manually craft because most wallets, if not all wallets, don't allow you to just make a double spend. So the UTXO model, it sounds like it unnecessarily bloats transactions. So if, if, well, it depends. It depends on whether or not the, if the amount of time it takes to confirm a transaction is uh, like reliable and deterministic, that, that's a drastic variable from like ten minutes to, to a week of the same transaction. Yeah, with every input, the size of the transaction increases significantly. So, would switching over to Ethereum system be more beneficial? I think so, personally. Uh, I don't know enough about it. It just seems like that UTXO set, like the growth is going to be a problem for large blocks. I've been talking about that for a long time. Like the, that's what, it's like these are all all blockchains, and these technologies are what's considered like a singleton state machine, like a, a transactional state machine. And so the whole network keeps track of all the nodes, the full nodes that are running on the network keeps track of the state of the network, which is basically all of the little bits and beats bitcoins that have been transacted, which is a, you call a UTXO unspent transaction output and the address that they belong to. So an address can actually have hundreds of UTXOs associated with it. But when you look at your wallet, it just shows up as one number. You control this much Bitcoin. Well, that one number is the accumulation of a lot of different little pieces of Bitcoin spread out across the entire blockchain. And that's real. And, and over time, especially if transactions incentivize you to create more UTXOs than what they consume, that state that everybody keeps track of grows really, really, really fast. It makes yeah. wallets, like developing wallets and deterministically figuring out how much a transaction costs, very, very, very difficult. That's why probably why all our wallets suck. Yeah, I know you've been talking about it for a while. I just thought UTXO was going to grow with adoption, you know, to, well, to prevent it. Was, it was the first way of doing these types of things, and I think a lot of the newer, smaller, unproven methodologies that are coming out um, are trying to get away from that model. Ethereum was the first successful one to change the UTXO model drastically. Um, they don't, they don't, they don't have that issue. A lot of the issues that um, Bitcoin suffers from. Yeah, which is why they're able to do something like the DAO hard fork, 
Like doing something like the Dow hard fork in Bitcoin would be pretty much impossible without rolling back all of the transactions on the network. But the way that the blockchain is set up for Ethereum, you can selectively change things, which would which which even gave them the option for doing it. If they couldn't have done it as precise as they did it, it never would have happened, in my opinion. Yeah. But the fact that it's capable of doing things like that means it's more efficient, which means that as it scales over time, it'll be it, it's not going to have these types of problems that we're going to see at anything that's based on a UTXO model, which is almost everything else. Oh, yeah. Do more research on that. It's interesting, though. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. Like, I think just now, finally, within the past maybe couple, like half a year, we'll say, we're starting to see what different types of scale does to the the technology that we've been playing with for this long. Because, like, it's all well and good when you don't have a a significant load of users trying to do things on your network because everything works the way it should because you haven't pushed the limits of what it's capable of. But the moment you start like pushing the limits, you see where all the vulnerabilities are, right? Think about like, say if you had like this, uh, I don't know, container that holds water and Mm. it has a hole near the top of what it does or like it like it's just a sealed container and you blow it up like a balloon but it's got a hole somewhere you don't really see that leak until you start filling it with water and applying pressure to the whole thing right right and if that gets too problem the whole thing can blow up if that hole is too big and so a lot of these networks which don't have enough water in their balloon keep talking about how awesome they are and what they're capable of doing but they don't have enough water to really show whether or not they're all the shit they're saying is really true yeah because and eventually we'll start seeing those leaks bitcoin and ethereum are probably the only two platforms maybe litecoin that have experienced enough load where you even start to see leaks well unless you're mining uh taking longer to validate going to be a problem as long as you can like validate them fast enough to keep up with the average block time like if you're mining i I would assume what you're talking about affects that because if you're mining then taking longer to validate these new blocks puts you at a disadvantage because you can't start mining on the best chain until you've fully validated the new block right Validation of a block. I mean, yeah, that can. I mean, if if That's validation a of a block about. is taking a percentage of the time it takes to mine, then you're going to run into some problems. Or you can parallelize these things. It just it increases the amount of hardware, um, like computational power you need, the types of systems you can build to build a full node, which increases like the overhead of running a full node, which is bad. What could be bad? That's a so, trade off. Yeah, I mean, it's a problem, but not one we can't solve. Yeah, that that can be solved with like engineering, and like increasing computational power and the avail the affordability of new computational hardware, which gets better and better every year. That type of stuff gets better. Yeah. But if you have fundamental problems with the way these things work, that's really hard to fix, especially in a 
in a system that's really hard to change like Bitcoin. Like think about how long it took us just to get SegWit and now how long it's even getting people to just get and use SegWit. Yeah. That can't be the model of how these systems work over time, in my opinion. I agree. Technological bottlenecks. And then you have the issue of like, okay, let's fork it. All right, well, let's now re-educate everyone about how this new technology works and get them on that network. Mm -hmm. After they just kind of got familiarized with the old one. Can't sleep on the space. Keeps growing. Yeah, it's rough. And in the meantime, people are making stupid money on things that aren't ever going to last forever. <laughs> it's such a weird space to be in. Is this the uh, is this the last thing you want to talk about in 2017? Uh, we got an interview. We have an interview today. We do. Um, Why don't we skip to the interview and we continue talking afterwards? We can. You'd rather do that? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, we're talking with uh, Richard Jacobs. He's uh, putting on the inaugural Bitcoin Ethereum Blockchain Super Conference in Dallas in February. We're, we are a sponsor, and we will be there. Corey's talking. What are you talking about, Corey? What's your topic there? I am talking about the social implications of blockchain infrastructure. It's going to be kind of how this technology and the way it, it, it allows us to communicate in new ways will change the way we as humans communicate with each other and do business and transact. Yeah, even uh, our boy Dylan will be there. Be a good time. Gonna be good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, basically, the purpose of this interview, uh, I kind of always wondered, like what what kind of efforts go into putting on a, a conference and one that's never been done before. Uh, we, I want to discuss the anxiety, the the pressure, you know, the planning, all that stuff. And uh, my hope is it'll be interesting and entertaining, or it could be super boring. Guess we'll find out in the next twenty minutes. Let's get to it. Here it is. All right, we can get all this. right. Let's Rolling. get this party started. We're recording. All right. Let me get my Richard Jacobs intro up. All right. Today, we uh, we welcome Richard Jacobs, who's the host of the Future Tech Podcast, co-founder of Blockchain Edge Consulting Firm, uh, where he helps crypto entrepreneurs turn their startups into real businesses. He's also the author of Surprising Insights, from 200 plus podcast interviews, which is a really effing great idea. We're just too lazy to do that ourselves. So we'll let you have that one. Uh, that's on sale on Amazon and it's on audible.com. And he's the organizer of the inaugural Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchain super conference, which goes on in February 16th through the 18th in D town. Uh, so give it up for the hardest working man in crypto, Sir Richard Jacobs. Oh, thanks, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, and man. In my spare time, I my spare time, I help the poor and I climb Mount Everest and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Only in your off time, though, just when you have the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yes. So let's uh, like I've I was asked a while back 
um, to start working for a company in particular to start designing um, conferences around the world catered towards the cryptocurrency community. Uh, and, and I, in the process of vetting whether or not I wanted to do this role, I looked a lot into what it takes to make a conference and all the things that need to go into it, particularly on cryptocurrency. And it's, it's rather daunting. And I don't think people understand that unless they look into it. Can you want to talk a little bit about like what it's been like to try and put together conferences that are successful, both with the turnout as well as not dumping a bunch of money into something and not getting any payback for it? Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of work. When I first went into this, I just had this vague idea like, oh, it'll be a lot of work, but eh, I'll just try it, you know. I just figured I'll do it, even though I had like zero experience doing it. But luckily, um, you know, I run a business that has been running for eight years and I've got a staff. So they I pulled some of them in to help me. But the 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 most basic way to look at it is like you have attendees and you gotta market and get them there. And then you got to get speakers and you want to get vendors and, you know, exhibitors that have booths. Um, so these are all the parties involved. And it's, it's really like, um, it's like setting up a, a strip mall. You got to get your anchor tenants, like the movies or Nordstrom. And then once you get them, you get other people coming in. So that's really kind of how it went. Um, but yeah, you got to market to get attendees. You got to get speakers. You got to get all these people in. So it's, it's a gigantic babysitting job, essentially. Sounds like the most fun in the world. Can you drop dimes on who was the hardest to babysit? I don't want to say name names, but McAfee. you can use initials. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you already just mentioned it. Like it, it depends on the personality and the, uh, the ego of the person. I mean, the hardest people to get are the ones that are the busiest and the biggest. And, um, you know, human nature really is what's at play. Like the people that like everyone and their mother wants to speak literally everybody. And really early on where the people say, Oh, it's pay to play or, you know, if, if people didn't at least do something to contribute towards the conference, we didn't let them speak. And some people, like I said, cry about that, but the speakers really early on that wanted to just do it for free. They don't answer emails. They don't reply to calls. They don't respond to deadlines. Like there's no skin in the game for them. So that's like, I'll just be a hundred percent honest, but that's what we had to do is ask anyone that spoke, unless you're like the, the biggest of the biggest to do something to contribute. And that's what made it a success. Yeah. So, so let me ask, are, are there some speakers that you have to get to add validity to the overall conference? Like, oh, we got Eric Voorhees. And now that Eric Voorhees is there, maybe Charlie Shrem will attend. And once Charlie Shrem is there, well, then maybe we'll get Tim Draper. Is, it, is there kind of like a, some politics that kind of go in with, with that or egos? Yeah. And then there's the other politics. Oh, he's going to be there. I don't want to be associated with it if he's there. Oh, she's going to be there. Uh, you know, it, you get both ways. So it's I not like that's true. Yeah, it's not like I mean I'm I'm speaking at the conference and and I oh, don't you forget it. People heard you were there, they were like <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I have a feeling like my conference is gonna be like a poor pittance of a of a of a uh like amount of people being there because they're all on people that are more interesting. But like I would never turn down a speaking engagement because someone else 
at a at a large conference is also speaking as if like what I'm saying gives credence to what they're saying. And I think it's just, it's like a like you said, it's this weird jockeying for position and status in this space that's very relevant at the large like when you're kind of at the top of the you know political totem pole and you're a celebrity but it just seems dumb i i think so too but you got to realize too like what's happened this past year some of the wealthiest crypto millionaires have become so wealthy like i'll give you an example roger ver beginning of january was worth probably about 52 million you know according to what i saw on the web think about what he's worth now he's probably worth 500 million maybe more so when you get to that stature and that level like stuff just changes in your life and you become a different person so i mean like you know again i'm just speculating but charlie shram was worth like let's say 20 million you know the guy may be worth 200 million now more same with eric Voorhees and all these other people so like they entered a different echelon now so dealing with them has just become different yeah but what how much let's let's talk i guess i i can't really speak from that level and i know it has a, like having that much money definitely changes you but how much should it change you as a person i mean yeah people want to get at you because they want your money but your overall personality and the way you treat people shouldn't change because you've run into a ton of money in my opinion like i don't feel like that would happen to me it probably would because it's something that I don't quite understand because I've never been there, but I never want it to. And, it, and it, it's, I don't know. It's when you have that much influence because you have so much money, I guess you get real cautious on what you end up doing with all of your time. Yeah. I mean, you, in a way you have to, everyone's pulling at you at some point, which I understand. So you do have to be very selective, you know, Corey, I think I can give you a glimpse into that life. Like, you know, how every Monday we check our inbox and there's like, ridiculous emails ridiculous amounts of emails and we barely want to go through it multiply that by like i don't know seventy-five thousand, and then <laughs> you're sitting in roger bear and eric Borges' life when they open their inbox and they're like really okay i think that so they'd probably put their guards up a little if everybody is is coming at them for all sorts of reasons all the time you know i would well, well, this is going to be interesting because, you know, Richard's talking about the upper echelon, but one-fourth of the conference is going to be newcomers. And if you go to the website, the very first question they ask is, is it too late to get involved in crypto? So how's that going to be when you have this influx of people who are just getting their 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 toe dipped in the pond? But, you know, half of the conference are going to be these just ridiculous investors and and, and speakers. I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, the whole goal, again, of the conference hasn't changed. It's, you know, what can blockchain do besides, uh, in addition to Bitcoin, in addition to just smart contracts and Ethereum, you know, what are all like the use cases? So that's like, that's really the whole overarching goal. Um, I think I told you guys before, we have a class for people that are absolute beginners and then we've got more advanced stuff, but I wanted to gather the people that are actually trying to make these use cases a reality. I mean, we're still not there yet. You've got... Yeah, you know, just like decentralized storage, right? You got Sidecoin, storage, MadeSafe, Filecoin, etc. None of them have really come out with a product yet that's widely in use and that's, you know, being used as decentralized storage. You got privacy coins, Monero, Zcash, etc. So there's a race that's still on in all these sub niches of crypto to make these products come out and 
you know, be in widespread use. It still hasn't happened yet. So there's just a lot going on people don't know about and a lot to learn. It's good that you have that because we went to the Texas Bitcoin Conference. Maybe I'm taking mm-hmm. shots, but we went to the Texas Bitcoin Conference in Austin a couple of months back, and there was really nothing for beginners at all. And then there was also, like, when you try to get your food, you couldn't pay in crypto. So that was fun. And so well, it's not easy. It, you, uh, let me tell you what's going on. You guys will laugh. Like the hotel we have, you know, I booked the hotel. There's, there's enough room for the people coming and all that. But then a uh, guy that works for me, he's like, man, how are people going to eat? The restaurant only holds like 150 people. And I was like, Oh no. So we have food trucks coming in. <laughs> We've got four different food trucks coming in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner right out in the parking lot. So that's what we had to do to make it work. So, you know, it's, I'm sure these conferences all try to make stuff work right, but it, it, there's a lot going on you don't know about, and there's always unexpected surprises. So there's uh, just an example. That's kind of what I was getting at. Some slack. Yeah, what I was getting out of the first is like there's a lot that undergoes just the just the like the babysitting of all of the possible things that can go wrong that you need to cover before they're allowed to go wrong in a conference like that. And when you try and fit a lot of people into a small space – there's a lot of things that are happening that the attendees of that space don't know what's happening. Yeah, my goal there too is, um, you know, I have a staff of we're high, we hired a staff of twelve people, plus I've got three people from my main company that they're going to be there. My goal was to go there and have nothing to do, just in case stuff goes wrong, I can intervene. But that's how I had to think about it and set it up. It's not out of laziness, but it was out of you know, all right. If I don't do this, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. It's a, do you have to hire security? Um, for the overnight, we have for like the booths so no one steals stuff, you know, if they have anything valuable. Right, um, right. For, the day, for the day stuff, we don't really need security. But I want staff. Like we have um, these bright orange ugly T-shirts that they're all going to wear because you're walking around there. You got to go to the bathroom. You know, where's this? Where's that? I want them to know, okay, this is staff. They'll help you. I want a presence there. Very smart. So in terms of like, like outside of logistics for a, a conference, you, you want this conference to be educational and you and you definitely feel like the whole space is early and it's not too late to get into and we don't really know what the future is going to look like. What do you think? Like, where where are we going? Where, like, what, what is this? What is 2018 going to bring us uh, that 2017 didn't quite get to? I'm hoping that some of the the first use cases will become a lot more widespread. Um, I mean, I see, I I guess a couple of crazy things I see. The biggest thing I see is Bitcoin cash versus Bitcoin. So I'm not going to say this is really contentious, but whatever, you know? So it's like in the movies, good versus evil. You decide who's good, who's evil. But um, Bitcoin cash took a run at Bitcoin's hash rate, trying to steal the crown and they're going to do it again. And again and again. And I think this year it may get to the point where they either steal the crown or I mean they're like side by side with Bitcoin. Um, they're not gonna stop. They're backed by people like Roger Ver, who has again tremendous money and influence. And um, you know, look at like Bitcoin's fees, it's like twenty bucks to send a transaction. It's I mean, it's become untenable. So that's one big drama I see playing out over twenty eighteen. Um, another one is that, you know, now Bitcoin 
is starting to hit the mainstream. It's all over the news. I get everyone bothering me now. My in-laws and neighbors, hey, you know, what about Bitcoin? I'm like, I don't even want to wear Bitcoin shirts lately because everyone <laughs> bothers me, you know? I, I made a mistake of wearing one in the airport when I was traveling and like the, the stewardesses bothered me, the, the passengers bothered me, everybody, you know? So, so 2018, I mean, it's going to be even more mainstream and then Bitcoin's rise and fall and, you know, stuff is going to be like very public. More people are going to call for its death. More people are going to celebrate it. More people are going to speculate and go crazy. I mean, so it's just as if there wasn't enough drama. There's going to be, I think, like 10 times the drama this year, which I don't know how that's possible, but it is. Yeah, I think you have like when you have like you you, you mentioned one kind of uh, obvious drama in the space between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. But you're also seeing a lot of kind of upstarts who are trying to take the mantle of other platforms and a lot of like platform based things that are being created so these blockchain networks that haven't really gotten off the ground may start to gain a little traction and provide utility to that that competes with the other platforms like ethereum which will cause more dramas and the interaction of all these things and what everyone yells and spouts and pays for and so on and so forth it's going to get really hard to parse like where do you where do you go to get information about legitimacy you go to people do you go to places do you go to like sources it's hard i think everyone's gonna have to up their game that's what competition does but it's good you know like um i don't know you have a team of developers and they're anonymous no one knows who they are and then then the network just runs by itself you know i don't think that's gonna gonna fare well um you need to have like a real business and this is getting into like the consulting side but Eventually, I mean, I see some companies, um, ICO money they raised running out and them either blowing up or performing. I mean, that, that dynamic's going to start happening at some point. So that's what's happening. The industry's having to grow up and evolve and change. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. But there, there's definitely going to be uh, a second annual, a third annual. Like this is going to be a conference that's going to have legs. That's the goal, right? Yeah, um, it, it's funny. The uh, now, of course, at the last minute when we're pretty much full with sponsor speakers and everything, now we're getting tons of attention. So now, what I decided is we're going to do another one in September. Again, we're looking at either like Dallas or Chicago, um, and we're going to start as of January. You know, pitching people into the next one because now the interest is there. Why waste it? So that's what's happening in the background. Yeah, if you if you guys uh, uh, kind of like the partnership that we've initiated, like we we always want to be somehow a part of it because uh, not only do I kind of respect you as just an entrepreneur in the space, but uh, I appreciate like the the marketing and the preparation. Like, it, I want to tell people about like the the Christmas box that you guys got going on that many people may not know. I mean, there's there's swag, there's there's a uh, uh, this this episode will release tomorrow, and it'll be the last day where you can get, uh, for instance, the special Christmas price, and then it goes up again. So you reward people for taking the initiative to prepare. Um, and uh, I can't speak for Corey, but we like to be associated with uh, successful projects uh, and conferences such as this. Thanks. Well, I'll tell you too more of the inside baseball. So yeah, I don't care who knows, but um, you know we didn't start marketing this thing two months out we started like in the july and um that's what it takes i mean in the in the quote-unquote real world 
people do conferences a year out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, and I thought, um, you know, we would spend 30,000 on marketing. We spent 70, but we had to, I, we hit it every week with press releases. Um, we've been building a notification list. So, you know, early on we tried to sell tickets directly and it wasn't working well. So we made a notification list and that email list gets valuable content a couple times a week. You know, we, we, uh, I'm it's essentially, it's like a newsletter that people get in the email and we built the list to over 10,000 now. And it's a great way to sell tickets because we built trust and uh, affinity and all that with the list. And then when we have special stuff like Thanksgiving box, Christmas box, um, people trust us and they buy tickets. And then too, with the ticket price, you know, everything you see out there is 500 bucks. That's it. And I decided to play with that model. So we started at five, you know, 497, 500. And every month we raise the price a little bit. And that creates a buying rush at the end of every month. Cause again, human nature. So it's at a position now where I'm guessing that we'll be sold out probably several weeks before the conference date. We're getting close to 700 tickets sold and the goal is 800. And I never would have gotten there without doing this. So these are all the things that are in play to make it work. And the, and the sold out thing, it's not a bad thing. I remember, you know, DevCon 3 sold out four months prior to the event coming on. And it just, it's kind of like you're in this secret club and you're waiting outside behind the velvet rope for two hours trying to get in. Like people yeah. will be like, oh, well, I missed the boat. Well, next year I'm definitely going to be there. Um, right. So it's actually, you know, when you tell people sold out, boom, just put a stamp on it right across the website. And people will be like, ah, well, next year. And it's just going to increase awareness. Yeah, and this has to be a good one because it's the first one. But so far, so good. You know, it's going to fill up, which I finally can start relaxing a little bit about. And yeah, I want to make the next one bigger. This one's 800. The next one, we're looking at 12 to 1500, you know, a bigger venue. I'm trying not to go crazy, but I think uh, we'll be able to do it with a long enough runway. Yeah, I mean, I. Well, well, my my company comps or not comps, but like I have a budget for me going to conferences that, and when we start to plan out what we're going to do and what conferences we're going to go to, we do that like a year out. And the fact that y'all started your marketing so long allowed a lot of people to be able to plan out what they're going to be doing for that year, which I think a lot of people don't, don't do, which is really necessary to get a lot of the types of people you want to come to a conference to come. Yeah, we had, that's what I heard from, uh, vendors, you know, and speakers. Some were like, oh, this is so early. It's like I woke them up at eight in the morning. And other <laughs> ones, you know, were like, oh, thanks for doing this. You know, this is great. We have time to plan. So I heard all kinds of comments. Concerning the uh, the Christmas box, I, I want to give people a little taste of the nuggets of wisdom that are scattered throughout your new book. I, I would imagine there's some pretty crazy tidbits from all the entrepreneurs and VCs and in industry you've talked to uh, without giving too much away. Uh, is there any like crazy stories you could tell us? Um, I don't know if there's anything crazy. I mean, I learned what I think may be the truth about Satoshi Nakamoto because I've asked a lot of people now, you know, some of the old school people. I even went to Japan a few months ago on a trip with my family and I asked a bunch of people, you know, when I say the name Satoshi Nakamoto, what do you think? And they, they all told me over there, oh, that's like John Smith. It's so common. So that helped me think, all right, it must be a pseudonym because of that, you know? Um, and then the people I talked to during the interviews, so here's the the closest to what I think it actually is. Um, 
there seems to be a consensus that Satoshi was a group of about six people and they burned the private keys. Um, so none of them could fall prey to, you know, uh, wanting to spend the money. So that seems to be the truth. And I think that's an amazing sacrifice. Imagine if you're one of those six people walking around and you know this and you haven't told anybody. And even if you told them, you now can't prove it. And imagine the sacrifice. Like they, there was an article on Mashable that said, you know, Satoshi's worth 15 billion now. Um, Satoshi may be the first trillionaire in the next few years. So again, imagine like how that would have changed your life to have that much money, but it's gone. You can't get it. And you had to make this ultimate sacrifice to to give birth to this whole industry. So I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're going to make a movie about this later on in life. They have to. Like the, and I feel like I don't feel like enough people are pursuing the identity. Or I, maybe people are just giving up. But I mean, we have shows on network television about finding Bigfoot or, you know, <laughs> Carmen San Diego. I mean, this <laughs> the potential. You know, is just like there should be a movie about this. You know, in my opinion, the only thing that matters about his existence is whether or not those coins are being able to move. So if those, if anything ever happens around the coins or the addresses associated with those coins, then we should care. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. Because, like, we don't, like, may, it could be argued that there doesn't need to be a leader. And I think a lot of people who invested into Bitcoin ideologically get behind that really, really, really closely. And others that think that it's garbage. And so it's kind of like the contention around there not being something is the first in its existence. And I think that's kind of cool to have, personally. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know if this is a quote. It feels like one, but at the heart of every great story is a mystery. And that's what we have here. It's what makes it so fascinating, you know? If it's not a quote, it is now. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the uh, the, the coolest things. Um, it, you know, it's funny. The evolution I went through doing the interviews was kind of, know, maybe you could say it's embarrassing or whatever, but it, it took me... I don't know, probably at least 50 interviews to really start understanding. And, and early on, some of the interviews I did, I just, I call them gobbledygook interviews. Like mm. I would interview someone for a half hour and I still didn't understand what they were saying by the end of it. And then later on, once I got to a hundred interviews, I understood more and then 200 more. And I've, I think I've done over 300 now. Um, and when I, I had to get this info out of my head, that's why I wrote the book. And writing the book really helped. And some of those early interviews, I thought, oh, okay, now I understand what they're talking about. <laughs> but it, it, that's what it took to really get good at this stuff. And it just cemented the fact that, you know, the marketing and the communication has to be better in this space for widespread adoption. If it's not, there's not going to be widespread adoption. You got to, like I said before, I think, you know, the, the money people are the 45 to 70 year olds. That's who has the money. Millennials don't have as much money. They just don't. They haven't lived as long or worked as long. And those people are more cautious. They don't, they understand traditional banking and all that other stuff. And they're, you know, they need an on-ramp. They need simple stuff to get into this world. And that's why you have stuff like Coinbase that has the most app, the most users, because it's just the simplest. So that whole dynamic, I fully understand now, I think. Yeah, I, I, I love that. You know, people pay thousands of dollars to go to conferences to hear people talk when you could also start up a podcast and have one-on-ones with Voorhees and Shrem. And obviously, you know, it takes a lot of work to do that, but you and I can identify with that route. And um, we understand 
I, the things that we've learned uh, interviewing these people, it's it's invaluable. Like it's, uh, I, it really positions us to be. I, I don't want to say experts, but I always feel like if we have an expertise in a topic and we're one or two steps ahead of everyone else, then that that's good enough, right? Well, right now it's not about what you know. It's about what you what can you find out or like. It, you don't hold information in your head these days. What you do is you hold either an understanding and the skill of figuring out how to answer the questions that you can create. And with the access that we have coming from these podcasts, it allows us to get information that other people can't quite get to much, much, much faster and to answer questions and then share the answers to those questions with other people who are also interested in the types of questions that we ask. And that's that's incredibly valuable, at least in my perspective. So I, that's what I meant to say, but Corey is way better with words than I am. <laughs> What do you guys feel like? I mean, with all the interviews you've done and all this time, what's it felt like to go through the uh, the whole process on your end? Oh man, very like I I think different interviews impact Corey and I differently. Like I, th- there's people that still elude us, and I think we talked about this last time we spoke, Richard. But like you know, Winklevi, like I can't get them. But we've yeah. talked to Andreas Antonopoulos three times, so that's a win. Um, Right. You know, we had we had Roger Ver when he was only worth fifty million, but now he's worth five hundred million. He's a little harder to get in contact with, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it it's interesting that we've talked to UFC fighters. Then it's interesting that we've talked to Roger Ver and, and Charlie Lee, and then we've talked to like Grammy award winning musicians that are trying to sell their albums on the Ethereum blockchain. And you, you kind of get all these different perspectives in the space, and you see where everyone's kind of coming from. And it for me, it just adds perspective. Not everyone is just trying to get rich, and and it's it's just refreshing to hear people that have these passions, and they're just incorporating the new economy into it. And I just like hearing that. Yeah, I have to like yeah. it, it's been quite different. I mean, I, it's very similar to that, but like the way I see what I've learned from all of these interviews and people that we've talked to, because it's we've we've tried to we've tried to run the gamut of all of all ways this technology touches people between people who are creating the products that people are using and the people who are actually using those products that are changing their lives. And like my entire goal of being in this space is trying to figure out what it's going to do to the, to our future and how it's going to change the way people interact with each other. And that's this like kind of fuzzy picture that's ever changing. But with every person that I talk to is like, kind of like a new puzzle piece to that puzzle that I'm trying to see the overall picture to. And I get better, more clarity on how this, how all of these things are fitting together to change the world with each person that I talk to. And the more I can understand how it's impacting them or what they're building and what that thing is going to do to impact the entire space, the better I can start to predict on how things will move in the future, which is like really, really, really hard to do in such a fast, broad, scoped, technology you know what I, I just had an idea you know what you guys should do i should do this too but you can do it um you should do a world tour not where you go anywhere but where you interview people from different countries in the world on how they're using crypto because i interviewed some people in south america and one guy in venezuela and you know bitcoin is being used or was at least being used for toilet paper and for food and basic stuff there and they see it completely differently than the people in the u.s yeah so if you guys talk to someone in russia and in, you know africa and south america and you then you really get a different perspective in china what's going on that's what i would recommend 
It's a good idea. The Bitcoin Podcast World Tour coming soon. <laughs> Make it happen. Well, uh, uh, com slash register if you want to get your tickets. And uh, Richard, is there anything that we didn't cover? Now's your chance to let people know. Um, you know, it's not uh, fake scarcity or anything, but and I'm going to push it to the last second, but we we are getting close. I mean, we have maybe a hundred some odd tickets left and, you know, every day, some days there'll be 10, 20, some days will be five, six tickets, but people need to hurry if they want to come because we're going to sell out and I can't have a fire code problem and piss the hotel off. So, I mean, we're going to be full and I'd like everyone to come, but, but come now also so I can sleep at night early too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard, well, thanks for coming on. We always appreciate you, and I look forward to seeing you in a few months and, and, and talking. Right on. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Welcome back from the interview to Richard Jacobs. This is the last part of the roundtable where me and Cello will talk shop about various things, and D had to go do things, so he is no longer here. But he sends his condolences. He sends Wait, his condolences. condolences. Yeah. No, I don't think that's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, I think Corey and I wanted to take this opportunity uh, to reflect and, uh, you know, Corey can give his own set of thank yous. But I wanted to thank the Slack community. I wanted to thank uh, Jack Tater, Peter Saddington, Ian Bellina. Um, I also wanted to thank Andreas for being on our show. I wanted to thank all of our sponsors this year for helping us out. We would be a logo-less NASCAR without you guys. Um, Jeremy Epstein for providing us some marketing insights. And um, our wives for putting up with us. Would like to thank uh, the community at DevCon for embracing us at our first conference. We had a good time. And uh, I would personally like to thank uh, Dee and Corey. You don't have to show up every week, but you do. Appreciate it. And uh, I would like to thank Crypto for making me a little bit more comfortable in life. And I think that's it. Just a huge thank you to everybody. Yeah, man. It's been a hell of a year. And I, like, there's, there's, I don't want to name names too much on like thanking people, but like, like basically our, our community and what they've given back to us to allow us to continue to grow this thing and, and give us feedback on like letting us know that what we're doing is cool and it's touching people's lives and helping people understand the space. Um, they've, they've you know given back to us more than financially in a lot of ways, which helps me continue to like want to do this. Like the fact that I get, I've made, so many lasting relationships through our Slack, through Twitter, online, in person um, has, has meant a lot to me because these are like, more often than not, they're like-minded individuals and I learn from them just as much as they learn from me. My wife has been stupid fantastic with her ability to like put up with random interview times and constant recordings and all kinds of stuff across the various things that I do. Like my life, both like professionally and hobby is consumed by all things crypto, which means I'm talking to people nonstop 
and building things nonstop and having to do things regularly. And she's, and she's put up with that a lot. And I, that, that's really awesome. So I, I wouldn't, we wouldn't, I don't think any of us would be able to do this. Have we not had such a supportive group of people around us, including like you cello and D helping us like pick up the slack where each one of us lets off depending on our, our lives and schedules and stuff. So this has been, this has been awesome. And like the, the slack has grown ridiculously tremendous, tremendously. I said two L L Y words at the same time. <laughs> and the conversation, like at the, when it, like up until maybe this month, I've been able to read every single message on every single channel on that slack and keep up with the conversation that's going on, regardless of whether or not I'm, I'm talking. I, I always knew the tone and who's saying what and what's going on in the conversations that have been had. And now I think it's gotten to the point where I can't do that anymore. Like I literally have to spend so much time reading all the messages from all of the awesome conversations and not so awesome conversations that happen in our slide. <laughs> yeah. That's been, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride and this is still probably the best decision I've ever made is making this podcast you guys. So thanks to the listeners. Yeah. Thanks to you guys. On to a even better 2018. Hey, D here. After hearing Corey and Cello's amazing reflections on the time this year making this podcast, um, in post-production, I decided to add in my own self-reflection as well. Um, you know, well, firstly, thanks to everyone in the Slack and keeping the conversations live and fun and intriguing and uh, curiosity sparking um you've been a catalyst to a lot of the things that i choose to go and read and seek out and um yeah you guys as a community really keep this going for us like we used to have this saying when we first started making the podcast it was like i feel really boosted usually it would come from like downloads or us getting some random tweet from some random person but nowadays we get boosted most from the community um, and every day is just fun and we love talking to you guys. Um, also, like, I don't know if you guys notice, but I miss out on a lot of interviews um, just because of work and I travel a lot. And, you know, it's, it's not good to do an interview if you're in the airport or in a rinky dink hotel with bad Wi-Fi. Um, but Corey and Cello always are there, always, you know helping out and you know the the way that we share workload is is like i don't know whoever that lame ass that said don't make a project with your friends was he he picked the wrong friends uh because it's been the most amazing project i've ever been a part of and it's not one of those like school projects where like somebody says hey i'm gonna do all this stuff and they don't do anything and then you have to call them 3,000 times. And it's like, you didn't do any of the things you said you were going to do. We we get shit done. And it's it's fun working on this project with you guys. Um, I don't have a wife. So I guess I can think uh, uh, Zoe Saldana. Because why not? It's already creepy, right? I've said it so many times. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, my family as well. I travel so much, I'm pretty much sleeping on couches, futons, and spare beds. So um, it's allowed me to 
help out to help me out quite a bit. Give me, you know, a little stability on the weekends here and there. Um, Once again, shout out to the community. Shout out to everyone on the network as well who who who's joined us in creating content for all you guys and if anybody's listening to all the cr- the created content that we put out and you want to join up hit us up in the slack man we'll get something produced and we'll, we'll just keep all this crypto content pouring out mackie jj redis alec ken evan soon to be dj nes hopefully you're listening and i put you on the spot you know Everyone, Arthur, thanks for um, for helping out. It's been an amazing year. DevCon was awesome, except for those nasty-ass sandwiches that Evan Vanessa for some reason, thought were amazing, but tasted like complete tree bark. And I was like, this isn't a meal. This is actually torture. Maybe I'm first world. I felt bad inside after eating those sandwiches at DevCon, especially after how much those tickets cost. Um... Shout out to Street Fighter for raising me. Not like I'm not a Street Fighter. I'm talking about the game specifically. Way too many hours. I make way too many connections to that. Um, Yeah, it's been a great year. Next year will be even better. Keep listening. Tell your family. Tell your friends. If they want approachable crypto content, this is where they're going to get it. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks to Evan Van Ness. Thanks to Ken Bozak. Thanks to JJ and Redis. And Arthur for his short is... stint with us. Mackie has been Block Channel. Mackie yes. Block Channel, of course. He's been he's been he's created himself quite the bit of success over this past year. To see where he came from when he first started listening to us, and he's like one of the initial joiners of the Slack in our community, and what he has done through his grind is 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 pretty ridiculous he was uh, on episode 50 yeah but he was in the slack before that right uh i believe so yeah he was communicating with us and talking with us well before that and he's he's grinded his way to the top real real fast and i think that has a lot to do with his ability to position himself in places that benefit himself Really, 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 really well. He's made contacts and made a lot of smart. Well, that goes for everybody too. Like Evan's probably got the most popular Ethereum newsletter. Uh, Ken is making a name for himself on YouTube. Ken has uh, grown quite the following really fast, and they are yeah. they are really, really, really true to him and like loyal. Yeah, so we're not just hosting podcasts; we're allowing passionate people to really spread their wings and we're we're happy that we can contribute to other people's success i think you'll probably see more more shows coming on the network soon yep all right let's big, uh wrap it up podcast.network yeah we got that domain see that coming in the future all right uh yeah twitter spotify stitcher google play itunes there's nowhere you can't hear us. Well, it's probably a couple places. Maybe. Sure. If there's a platform that you would like us to be on, just ping me and I'll add us. But um, 2018, we ain't stopping. And um, I think that's that's it, man. 
I have yeah. nothing to say. Hit us on Twitter. Join the Slack. The Slack channel invite is right at the homepage, thebitcoinpodcast.com. Click on the Slack button. There you go. Happy New Year, everybody. Late. You guys heard them try to skirt out without saying play the outro? <sighs> Amateurs. Amateurs. This is what happens when I don't show up for the second round table. Play the outro.